Welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Steve Carter here. And you know the heartbeat behind this podcast. I want to help you get better at the craft of teaching. I want you to get better at the art of communication. But I always want your character to lead the way. And I love this because we get to do this twice a month through this podcast. And it's only possible because my friends at Preaching Today... Uh, we, we share a similar ethos. They, their heart's desire is to, to care for the pastor and the preacher's soul, to kind of give them content that kind of spurs their imaginations and help in their exegesis or with sermon illustrations. And they're such strong supporters of this podcast that they literally have created a deal. Um, I'm a member of their, their, their kind of uh, membership process. It's just a monthly fee, but like what's so beautiful is if you go to orderptnow.com, orderptnow.com slash CC30. They will give you 30% off just because you're a listener of the Craft and Character Podcast. It's a steal of a deal. Well, today I'm excited because I get to introduce you and reintroduce you to one of my favorite communicators, Albert Tate. I remember the first time I heard him teach, I was laughing, I was crying, often in the same sentence. His command, his humor, the way that he told a story, the way that he, he used his entire body when he preached. It, it was an experience. The Hebrew, the, 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 the Greek, the, the context, the way that he just pointed to the kingdom and to the way of Jesus was just breathtaking. And Pastor Albert Tate, he's just been the senior pastor and founding pastor at Fellowship Monrovia, an amazing multi-ethnic church uh, in Southern California that's doing incredible things. And today he's releasing a brand new book. And I, you're going to hear me just talk about this book because I, I, I believe in it. It's called How We Love Matters. And like we often do, I want you to know the sound of the preacher. And so a few weeks ago, he kicked off the How We Love Matters series at Fellowship Monrovia. And here's just a little splice from that teach to get a little sense of what and how Albert teaches. And then we'll dive right into our interview with the one, the only, the legend, Albert Tate. So this guy's name is Justice, um, which will, will turn to be a very painful reality. The last thing you want is your trainer to be called Justice. Um, so uh, he said, all right, Albert, he's so kind, one of the kindest brothers I, I've ever met. He said, I'll train you for free because I want to get you ready to win. So he comes to the house. I never forget it. And he got this big old ball and this ropes and stuff. And, and, and we get to going and, and we start doing stuff and he got me moving and doing stuff. And and I'm sweating. I'm about to pass out. I'm like, whew, I can't wait till we're done. He says, all right. I was like, whew, that's good. He's like, all right, now let's get started. I said, what? He says, oh, yeah, we all stretched out. Now you should be good in stretch now. I said, that wasn't the whole workout? He was like, oh, no, 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 no. That was just the, that was just the stretching. That was just to get you ready so you could actually work out. You know what I mean? I wanted to quit after the stretching. I could, and then he had me balancing on the ball. Sitting, uh, it's just stuff. They're just ungodly things. I just feel like it was ungodly. Um, but the next day, though, Yo, I was hurting in places I didn't think had things to hurt. Uh, I mean, I, I was just, and what, what happened was my body was just sore because all of the stretching and then the workout was literally offending my muscles, 
Uh, oh, it was it was hitting them, punching them, stretching them, creating intentional, strategic pain to my muscles and to my body, so that they might get stronger. <laughs> I I want to invite you to a conversation. Um, it's it's about racial reconciliation. Um, but it's not about racial reconciliation. If I'm honest, it's really about love. It's really about love. Um, racial reconciliation is the application, but love has to be the revelation. Because if you don't get the revelation, then you're going to struggle with the application. And y'all look around. We struggling with the application. We, we struggling as a country, as a people, as a world. We are struggling. I want to invite you to a conversation where we will intentionally stretch you. And intentionally <laughs> offend some parts of your body, of your ideals, of your philosophies, of your assumptions. And, and inevitably, with that kind of stretching and that kind of impact on your memory, on your muscle mass and memory and stuff like that, you're going to get sore. If, if, if I'm honest, that's where we struggle the most. If, if I would have quit because of the pain of the soreness on the second day of the workout, I never would have experienced the joy of completing the half marathon. If I was to stretch the metaphor, pun intended, as church people, we don't know how to deal with soreness. We get stretched, we get sore, and we leave. We gone. That's it. We done. I quit. I ain't got to stay around for this. We've got to learn how to work through soreness. So I want to invite you into a conversation that if we have this conversation right, you're going to get stretched and you're going to be sore. Albert Tate, welcome to the Crafting Character Podcast. Uh, we just got a little taste of your communication style, your preaching, which I absolutely love. Yeah. Give our listeners a little like background. This is week one of... How We Love Matters, the series. It's a five-week series, but give us a little uh, taste of what you're trying to do in this teach and for this entire series. Yeah, I feel like, like, like we talked about in the clip, racial reconciliation. So it's a, it's a series on love and race. Um, I, I say it's, it's about racial reconciliation, but at the same time, it's not about racial reconciliation at all, but it's also about racial reconciliation because uh, it's a byproduct of love. Um, and as Christians, now the world is going to act like the world and they're going to be the world. That's great. But when Christians engage in this conversation and many others that we could apply it to, but this, this is just the space that I'm in right now of racial reconciliation, it's as if love is no longer required. We've entered into a space to where, no, no, I don't, this ain't a love moment. This is all of my feelings, all of my thoughts all of my opinions, all of my offenses. And no, it's a full package. You don't get to go into the room of racial reconciliation and check love at the door. It's got to drive how you show up in the room, how you operate in the room, how you engage in the room. So over the last two years, 
with racial tensions becoming higher and higher in our generation and Christians looking and sounding less like love, I just thought, yo, we got to have a conversation because somewhere we've given ourselves permission to just have offenses and opinions absent of the love that is clear, not ambiguous. It is clear what it is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Some of us, we out already. We tap out already. We we need to make the first two rounds. You know what I mean? So that's what I'm getting after. I want to get after the revelation of love and then allow that to saturate our application of racial reconciliation. I think this is so great. I, You know, you grew up in Mississippi and I wonder like, as you were a kid and you fast forward 30 years, 35 years, did you, did you ever think, Hey, like we're going to need to do more series on racial reconciliation. Like, did did you, in your mind go, gosh, this is actually going to get harder and yeah. more tense. Or did you, did you like go, man, this is, I had to like almost wake up to how backwards we've gotten because we, it's like we're, we're struggling with this application. We, we, we've missed this revelation. Like, like when did I guess the question is like, when did this become for you? Like, I have to talk about this. Yeah. I feel, I feel like, um, I, I talked to a guy the other day and he left his medical practice and started a new practice. And I was just wondering, cause he spent all these years going to, to be a doctor and all this other kind of stuff. He just says, man, I got the medical system is designed in the West here in America to just solve, to, to medicate. We just do prescriptions, just, you know, I mean, even my doctor, uh, I came in, he took some blood work. He was like, oh, okay, I'm gonna prescribe you this and this, this. And I was like, why? He said, because oh, your blood pressure is high. You're such, such, such. I was like, okay, should I, should I change my diet or anything? He's like, I mean, well, yeah, 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 that'll help. It's like, well, that'd be good to know. You're just giving me a pill, man. Tell me. We're treating symptoms, but not identifying the root problem. Yeah. I think the Church of Jesus Christ, we've been treating the symptoms of racism. And some of us not even doing that. We're ignoring yeah. the symptoms. But those of us, we've been trying to treat the symptoms, but we haven't really dug into the true root problem, and that's love. And we keep wondering why we keep showing up racially sick as the Church of Jesus Christ. It is because we have not found the root problem. We are doing cheap reconciliation instead of deep reconciliation. And it keeps costing us because we keep being divided. And I realized racism is something that was discipled in. So we got to look at the water. We got to look at the process. We got to look at the pipeline. We got to dig in there and recognize if it was discipled in, we got to disciple it out. We can't come up with a cheap way to get it out. We've got to dig down. So it's got to be a spiritual issue. It's got to be a biblical conviction and it's got to be a revelation of love. Um, I think that's why we keep coming back here. I think we're going to continue to come back here until we get it right. So that's why what I'm digging into, man, I want my kids, um, especially my grandkids. I want my grandkids to hear about my legacy and my life's work on racial reconciliation in the church. And I want them to think granddaddy's work is ridiculous. Like what in the world? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. A movement 
for racial reconciliation, multi-ethnic churches to love one another? What was that a thing back then? Was that literally a thing? I want them to look at my books and look at it like a VHS tape. Seriously, <laughs> this was needed. This was relevant because I want the impact to be so dismantling to systems and institutions that when they go to church, when they consider their spiritual siblings, it's not even a thing. It's yeah. Not. Yeah. That's so beautiful, man. I love that visual. Just, I want my grandkids to look at my books like VHS tapes because we've made that much progress. That's so yeah. beautiful. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious because again, you're, you are a master communicator. You're someone I, I, I love learning from. I love watching. Um, you do things so effortlessly. Um, it, 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 it bugs me um, because it's just, it's just, <laughs> I, I see you turn a text on a dime. I see you turn a story. I see you just um, use just your, your voice, your tone to draw people in your humor, your, your challenge. It's, it's, it's masterful. I love watching you, you, you preach. Mm, thank you. But what's, what's wild for me though is, is do you have, is you think about walking into a conversation on race in times that are so divided, um, what goes through your mind? Like as you're teaching this, and I think it's grounded, obviously it's grounded in the text. It's grounded in the, this most beautiful concept called love and the, and the way of Christ. But, but walk us through that because it looks effortless, but I, I can seize the preparation, the prayer, the, the dedication to get this conversation right. Talk to us about that process. Yeah. So I, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. So I love a good argument. I love a good debate. I love a good, I'm passionate. I like to go back and forth. I love my opinions, um, but I also love others. And I love working through the argument. So with something that's so controversial and so many different opinions, I love to take the critics and I love to take people that have high opinions and the people that would struggle with my message the most. I love sitting under their argument and slowly, very intentionally, very strategically breaking down their argument so that I might might so that I might make the case for Jesus Christ and what he's calling us to. So I listening to our people on, on this subject, but really all of them, if you're talking about if you if you're talking about simplicity in life, well, you gotta you, you gotta hear consumerism coming at you like, but so you gotta break down the argument of consumerism and in what it does and identify with it, and then expose it for inevitably what it is. So so you're building a case. I, I look at preaching as a lawyer within a jury box trying to make the case. You, you, you got to build an argument. You got to identify. T.D. Jakes is really great at that. Regardless of what you feel about him theologically, he's a master communicator. Every time, I don't care. He's been in the first 10, 15 minutes creating a problem. Yes. Creating a problem. Something's wrong. And he'll have you just like, yeah, that's wrong. That's wrong. And, 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 and then he says, ah, oh, but here. And then he starts slowly fixing the problem. And, see, and, I, and then, then you're like, that's <laughs> And he's yanking you from one end to the other. It's, he, you take the people on a journey. Jesus does the same thing with parables and with stories. He sets them up, but, what, but, but he doesn't set them up in some foreign space that they're not familiar with. No, he's talking to farmers. He will say, the kingdom of God is like a field. And, so, and they immediately know, I know a field. 
I know I feel. I can identify. I was just in the field. I'm in the field. I feel. So he takes these metaphors and he meets people where they are. So I think our greatest preaching is take, th- taking the lofty theological concepts, doing our due diligence and understanding the intent of the writer, and then doing the, lab- the, the laborious work of imposing the intent of the spirit. Um, and that, and that's imposed by inviting the spirit to lead. So don't, don't, a lot of preachers, man, they, they bring their paper to the pulpit and you don't need to, and they preach to the paper, bring your paper to the pulpit if you need it, that's fine. But make sure you preach to the people, not the paper. So you do all of this work, but then you just preach it to the paper. No, the spirit says, bring it to bear on the people and be intentional because it is worthy of delivery and it is worthy of preparation. It is worthy of presentation. That's so beautiful. Again, what I love about what you can do, you know, whether it's a first Corinthians 13 passage, like you kicked off with, you know, um, how we love matters. You can take something that's so familiar and then just turn it. Yeah. And again, it, it feels so effortless. I know that takes time. Talk about like, as you, as you are like, building that argument, building that case, because what's so beautiful about the way that you teach is you could have a whole, you could invite 50 people on stage to start doing a dance to close out the teach. You could, there's so many different ways, but you've built this case. You've, you've exegeted in a beautiful way. And then all of a sudden you slowly got people like, like your TD Jakes example, just going, yeah, yeah, I'm in, I'm on stage. I want to dance. I want to do that. I was like, I, or I want to sit in this or I want to jump into this spiritual practice, which I've seen you do a lot recently. Talk about what's that time look like? How do you do that? Are you walking in Monrovia? Like, are you sitting in this office? How do you, how do you visualize or dream where you want to go so that spirit's intent can take place? You know, the biggest thing, uh, so, so a couple of things. I, I sit in the passage, what's going on in the passage? Okay. Um, and then I'm asking the bigger question, Lord, what do you want to say to your people? Um, what, 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 what do we want to drive? What do we want to communicate? What's the bottom line? What's my thesis? So I kind of begin with the end in mind. When I, I, I think about the lunch table, my job, my goal when I preach, man, I want to hijack lunch. I want, when you go to lunch after church, I want it to be impossible for you to be able to get away from this sermon. I want you to be like, okay, okay, you and Julie doing good. Okay, and the baby's getting, listen, okay, great. I'm glad we got that. I got to tell you about 1 Corinthians. I got to tell you, the, the, the sermon today was about love, girl. Did you know? I, I want that. And not only do I want that, but I, I want to make sure that I've given them the right talking points. Yes. So I want to give them something that's transferable that they can communicate effectively at lunch. And you can do that. People say, what did he preach about? I don't remember. I don't want that to be the case. I want you to know exactly what I preached about. You don't, you don't have to know all my points, but I want you to know that thesis. I want you to know that thing that I want to drive home. So I want, so I start with that. And then I say, now what's the best build to get there? What's the right tension? What's the right resolve? What's the right application? What's the right call at the end? Some of us, we build strong and then, man, that thing falls off at the end and you don't do the street. Bring it home. Like, you don't apply it. You just leave it. So 
consider consider what I've said. He said, no, I'm preaching. I'm not asking for consideration. I'm asking for conviction. What is, and I'm not doing the conviction, the word is, but I want to set the word up and bring it to bear. I like, I like that phrase. I want to bring it, I want it to bring it to bear to where you got to deal with it. You got to deal with it. You can't ignore it. You can't be passive. You got to either, you got to either reject it or accept it or wrestle with it. You got to do something with it. I'm not going to sit here and study all week and you just come in and sit and listen and go home and not wrestle with this thing. So I, I think about that. I think about that process. And then I'll get on the phone with some preacher friends of mine. I've got some best friends that I just, I just talk, we just talk through our sermons together and share nuggets, share insights. So we just kind of play around with stuff and share. So the shared experience is very powerful, uh, very, very, very significant. But the thing that I've discovered about my preaching here lately is that it gets really real and my best sermons come when I've moved it from my head to my heart and then to my belly. Mm. What I, and what I mean by that is I can, I can sit with a text and be familiar with it and all that kind of stuff, but I need a, I've been, I find myself saying, Lord, give me a burden. Give, give me a burden in my stomach that I know the burden. And if I get the burden, then I come and I bring that burden to bear so that then what they experience is the word coming to bear on them because I've got a burden in my belly. I just don't have a stirring in my heart and I just don't have intellect in my mind concerning the passage and the exit. No, I got a burden. God wants to do something in this room. He wants deliverance. So now my job as the preacher is just to get them to the place to where that burden comes to bear on them. And I will use the, the navigation of scripture because it is the best tool we have. And that's what the word of God does. It cuts, it divides, it opens up to the marrow, it says. I'm sorry, it don't get more inside than the marrow of your bones. So it gets all the way inside of you. And then you come before the high priest and you do business with the high priest. That's what I want preaching to do. So that burden is what I found. My best moments with God using me have been when I've stood deeply in a burden that I feel in my stomach. Man, that's so good. Talk about the energy management required so that you have the space, the time to not just let it get to the stirring in the heart, but allowing the space and the time to, to feel that burden. Is that like a, man, I'm so far out in what I'm teaching. So I'm marinating on it. Um, on the regular, is this a, man, I got a regular practice of just on Thursday afternoons or chopping it up with, you know, Ricky or other pastors, you know, right. like, like what, what, what does, because I think, I think, a, I think you're so right. I think a lot of pastors live up in their intellect and they go, man, I got it to my heart. And they go, that 18 inches from head to heart, whew, I'm done. But there is a difference getting it down to feel that conviction, that burden, as you say, in the belly. Yeah. Just, just like any, any other like practical tips for that? Because I, I think that you might have just helped me understand what makes your preaching so wildly different. Because I feel that. Mm. Like I, I, the word decide. Like you, you, you both invite and you force me to decide. And, and really like that word side comes from like homicide or it means, it means something's got to die. You're mm -hmm. cutting something off. Mm -hmm. Something, you, you've made this decision that you're like, no more, no longer, yes to this. Like, and, and whether it's from this past message that we, people got to get a little taste of, 
from yeah. week one of how we love matters. Like you're forcing us to decide, but that's, it's not, it's more than intellect. It's more than heart. It's conviction. Talk yeah. a little bit about that. If there's any more practical tips. Yeah. Well, and I think it goes into, it's a precursor to the whole character piece. It's got to, I've got to decide myself. Am I going to preach this from a place of humility and conviction of the Holy Spirit doing a work on me? Or am I going to transfer content from my page to their, to these persons and completely skip the revival that God wants to do in me? So it has to come out of a deep conviction and confession of your own soul and just really getting before the Lord and saying, Lord, do something in me that makes it so undeniable that when I kind of, when I communicate it, I'm going to lead people to a place where I personally have been. So I met with Jesus. Now I want to bring you to meet with him. And I just got a precursor of what he's going to do. And he's going to do it in all of us, but he has to do it in me. So inviting. So there's a, so from a practical side, I just have to step away from the text, step away from memorizing and just sit in it and, and, and not through a, a, a sense of sermon prep, but a sense of soul prep and say, Lord, would you prep my soul? Would you burn this in my soul? So when I stand and proclamate, when I stand and declare, it comes from a place of deep burden. Not like if they don't get this, someone may miss, may miss something that God has for them. I, I, I put people in the chairs that were divinely designed. There's somebody who will hear this sermon that this may be the last sermon they hear, or it may be the first one they've heard. It may be, they may be at a crucible moment in their life where they need a clear message from God. I put that kind of weight in the room because that kind of weight is in the room. That's right. Every time we open this book, there's an opportunity for a life to drastically be transformed. We can't take that lightly and it's too heavy to stand there and we not have that burden weigh on us because we've got people weigh, that are that are that those, those burdens are weighing on them. So it's a it's a sacred moment that if you get too familiar and get off the plane and go on the stage and mic me up and I got to preach or this Sunday and I'm preaching. If it, I try not to let it get so familiar that I don't I don't take time to get in a space with God to become heavy. Yeah. Become weighted um, so that when I stand, I'm weighted. Now, every time it's not like that. I try to get that in most of the time, but sometimes if I'm doing a workshop, it's easy to get light. But I say, Lord, please weight me with the power of the burden, which is the glory of God, because once it's displayed, man, those burdens become light. So I, I, I try to, so that's practically what it kind of looks like for me. Well, I, I love that even you use the word uh, glory because that's. Which is a weightiness, they, and, and you're talking about the weightiness of this. But as you start to speak it, it it can become light. Um, you know what's so amazing too about you um, is you have this burden in the belly that has to come out. It's fire in the bones; it can't be shut up, as Jeremiah says. Like you, you, you embody this. But I also love your pastoral sensitivities and your pastoral heart. Like even in your book. Every chapter is dear and then blank. It's, it's yeah. dear some, and they're almost like these pastoral letters that you are writing as you walk through this book. Is there a part like in your notes, in your prep, where you're like, 
hey, that, you know, some, you know, some people have like an emoji of a heart or something like, do you have like a, is there some part, you know, like, man, I know people have to kind of have this sense of push, but also the sense of being led to fresh water and, yeah. and talk about that pastoral side, because again, you do it in your writing. This book is unbelievable. You have to get it. We're going to do a giveaway. You're going to hear more about that in a moment, but like that pastoral gift with that prophetic fire, I don't normally see people who have both at the degree that you do. Yeah. Talk about that. And especially as an eight. Yeah, <laughs> so. right, right, right. <laughs> yeah I, um, I love the church. Um, and I love God's people. Come on. Um, and it should feel like love. Even if it's a hard conversation, it's just, it should still feel like love and it should feel like humility. Mm-hmm. So, so I try to, especially talking about love and love is kind, love is me. Uh, there's one that says love does not rejoice in evil. Well, as you look at that, it's not so much rejoicing in bad things that I, the, the bad things like I don't, I don't enjoy evil. No, 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 no. It's the idea that love doesn't rejoice in the evil that happens to bad people. So when people do wrong, there's a little thing in us, if we're honest, for people that have wronged us, if something wrong happens to them, we do a little, a little exhale, a little, I told you, like I knew it, look at that, I knew it, I knew it. So in the middle of the sermon, I realized I'm hitting the congregation hard. And I was like, you know what, let me, let me pause and make sure that it's clear in the room I'm included in this. So I just say, hey, y'all, I do that. So I take really one of the worst daggers that this word is hitting us all with. And um, and I say, hey, this one is bad. And I struggle with this one. I really struggle. So the reason why I can preach this so good and so passionately, y'all ever wonder why? Because I struggle with it the most. Yeah. So making sure that I give a clear line of sight to my own brokenness on a regular basis is really helpful for the message to be received, especially when I got to say some hard things. But inevitably, I just think sometimes as pastors, we don't love our people. Yeah, yeah. It's hard to preach well to people whom you don't love well. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I love that. And I think that's, that I think is a great way to always help you move from the intellect down to the heart down to the belly, you know, I think just beginning to go, man, where's this preaching to me? Um, I'm curious, how did Mississippi prepare you to preach in Monrovia, California, um, outside of Pasadena? Um, and how has Monrovia, um, Fellowship Monrovia prepared you to preach in all of the cities and countries that God is allowing you to go in this, in this time? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, man, my family and there's some virtues and some values that were instilled in me in Mississippi that that shaped me. So when I show up in in Southern California, it's such a different place, but the values are so deep, deeply within me, I can't I, I can't shake them. So I bring that level of hospitality and desire for people to come together because that's what happened in my house and in my family. But I also bring an eye for division because I also was acutely aware of that in Mississippi. And people assume because you're in progressive California, racism is less. No, racism just is 
uh, just wears a different color shirt so you don't recognize it as quickly, uh, but it's still there. Those same systems and institutions are, are perpetual. So, but it's all driven by love. Here in California, it prepared me to be around people that don't look like me, don't live like me, don't vote like me. And us having to wrestle and sit at the family table, uh, that bloodstained table, and say, "Let's make, what does it mean for us to consistently make this about Jesus and not our own desires, our own opinions, our own offenses? What does it mean for us to consistently make this about Jesus? And I think that message, man, the world needs to hear. I think that message, everyone needs to hear the power of the table that's been stained by the blood of the lamb and our ability to consistently remember this table and this family is about God. It's not about me. It's not about my rights. It's not about me being offended. I, I said, said to the church last Sunday, the worst thing that could happen to you is not being offended. Well, right now, that's how we act. We act like that's the worst thing. Offended. I'm, not, I'm gone. I'm leaving the church. I'm leaving my family. You're not vaccinated. I'm leaving. You got vaccinated. I can't believe you did that to your body. Just everybody's just offended about everything. The worst thing that can happen to you is not that you'd be offended. The worst thing that can happen to you is you'd be disobedient to who God has called us to be and how God's called us to love. Gosh, that's so good. You, you mentioned the table multiple times in that. Is that, is that how you visualize the church in, in many ways when you get up like uh, that you're just inviting people into a meal like and, and there's a, you know, longer tables, smaller or lower walls? Like is, is that a Mississippi visual that just plays into, hey, every Sunday, and it's just there's a, there's a feast that we can we can feast on together. Absolutely, I, I don't want to give Mississippi too much credit, but we were raised and we we did Sunday dinner. And although it happened at one o'clock, we still called it Sunday dinner because it was too small. It was too big to be lunch. So it's too big of a moment just to be lunch. But but we would sit around that table. So there's a festivity there at the table. But the visual of the table is really anchored in Jesus when he pulled the disciples together and he sat around the table. And all throughout the Gospels, you just see him sitting at tables, inviting people in, sitting at tables, having hard conversations. I think the family table is the centerpiece of even the great banquet, the great culmination when we all gather together. I think it's a centerpiece of the imagery that Jesus uses. And then ultimately we'll get up from the table and stand eternally at the throne. Um, and there it says what the, what the throne is going to look like. It's going to be surrounded by every tribe, tongue, nation, race, all they're declaring worthy is the lamb. My thing is, Steve, if, if we're going to be at the throne eternally, if we're going to stand at the throne, we need to start practicing now by sitting at the table. Let's go. Um, and that table is the Lord's table. It's the love feast. Um, and when you sit with your siblings at a table, you ain't going to agree on everything and you got to work some stuff out, but you always, always come back to the table. That's beautiful. You wrote this book, How We Love Matters, and give us a little bit more on it. Um, and any of you listening, um, the book drops today, March 8th. I'm super excited. I've got a chance to, to read an advanced copy. It is phenomenal. It will pastor you. It will challenge you. You will, you will see things in the text that you haven't seen. I, I, I firmly believe this will be one of the most important books of this year. And this, it's, it is a must read. I'm just, I'm just saying that it is a must read. I don't say that for every book. I'm telling you, this is a must read. Albert, I want to hear just a little bit more. Can you give people kind of like a, the scope 
of where you take people on this journey. It's intentional. It is practical. It is powerful. But give people a little of where you want to take them and what you hoped people will discover as they pick up how we love matters. Yeah, I think as as a Black man navigating multi-ethnic spaces that's madly in love with Jesus and um, a part of this family of faith, where I've got white siblings, Asian siblings, Latino siblings, we're all one family and we're brothers and sisters in Christ. I just realized as a family, yo, we've been doing a lot of fighting and a lot of disagreement and we're not seeing one another clearly. So what does it mean for us to all sit at the same table um, and be invited to listen to one another in a fresh and new way? Um, not just just black folks over here listening and white folks or conservatives over here listening. And, but if we all sit at the fam- family table and I want to give you insight into my story, my life and my burden and also inviting God's understanding of love to shape how we talk with one another, how we see one another, how we listen to one another and inevitably how we love one another. Um, so I write these letters. I start with Dear Mississippi. And I talk about my experience in Mississippi and how Mississippi taught me that hope may be delayed, but it's not denied. denied. Uh, hope comes, but work continues. And then but, then, but then we go there. I talk about dear whiteness, not white people, but whiteness as in the normative and the, the standard and how that oppresses people of color and my Caucasian brothers and sisters, we all got to get delivered from whiteness. So I talk about my journey and my story of navigating that. That's my, that's my story and my experience. And I invite the listener to sit, see, and then ask themselves the question, what does love do here? How does love respond here? I, I do one that I, I, one of my favorite chapters is Dear Bereaved Family. Um, and I talk about the bereaved. I talk about the, the significance of a bereaved family, how all of culture in Mississippi, when we would drive around, if there was a funeral procession, we'd pull over to the side of the road. Sometimes we even do it in California. Sometimes we ain't got where to, nowhere to pull over. But everybody stops when they seize a hearse because everybody knows that's a family that's broken. And the last thing I need to do is get in the way of that. They get the whole freeway. They just get to go. When George Floyd died as a black community, it was like a funeral. We feel it like that. And what we wanted from our white siblings in faith was to pull over on the side of the road and create space for us to have broken hearts. Um, what we needed in that moment, though, um, was, was the love of our siblings. But if you look at comment sections and fights on Twitter and in living room tables and stuff like that, what, what, what I got personally was a lot of demands for evidence. You're crying and you're upset about this and you raise a razor. Well, we need, it needs to go through the court system. We need to go, we need need more evidence. It's like, no, this isn't a moment for more evidence. This is a moment for empathy. We're at a funeral with a bereaved family. Pull over on the side of the road. Are you going to have to stay on the side of the road? No, you get to get in, you get to drive. You still get to, you get to say your piece. You get to, you get to contribute. But for a season, because of the, the reality of the loss, Anybody with a decent heart just says, I'm not going to go to a mother who's burying her son and ask for evidence while she's still viewing the body. No, no. So I, I talk about that in Dear Bereaved. And, so, and we just unpack some of those things. So it goes on and on. But, that's, but it ultimately culminates with this idea of love. And love is marked by empathy, by sacrifice, 
justice, inevitably grace. And if we, if we bring that kind of love to one another, I think the conversation on race will change drastically for the Church of Jesus Christ. And I will be well on my way of my dream of my grandkids thinking my work is irrelevant because we would have moved the needle on this issue of race in the body of Christ. Pastor Albert Tate. Friends, if you've never heard this man preach, you got to. Um, They just did. They just did. He did. He did. They did. (laughs) I'll I'll tell you, too, he is, in each of these chapters, he'll just unpack. He's a Bible teacher, and he unpacks the text and in ways that, you know, for, for, for many of us from Bible college, all that stuff, you're like, I never, there were moments reading this book Mm. that I was like, I've never heard this before. Mm. I didn't know this about the text. And then as he so beautifully uh, applies it and unpacks, you know, like he just did with the hearse or like he did with Mississippi, it just, it, you, you, you get to see that text today in a new way. So it's a, it's a powerful book. Um, my friend, we, we talk often about this and, and, I love the craft. I know you love the craft of communication. You're a master at it. Um, we don't want our, our craft to just be leading the way. We want our character to outpace our craft and, and still grow in our craft, but like have our character um, be leading the way. What does that look like? I, I love seeing you and your wife on Instagram. And, but what, what does it look like for you in this season? You know, you got a book come out in this season, leading a church, in this season, traveling, in this season with so much... Yeah unrest and struggle like in our culture how do you keep that heart that mind that body just encouraged and deep with christ how how do you do it yeah i I think in this season i found the need to do more deep intentional work so uh, me and my wife we're, we're sitting with our therapist and we're seeing a therapist on a regular basis we'll celebrate 20 years um, and I'm talking about love and empathy, and I have no idea how to do empathy well. So I'm literally getting help um, about empathy. My wife, uh, I tell this story, she had just said something hard about something that was very painful for her and that she was experiencing. And the therapist, like a good classic therapist does, looked at me and said, now, Albert, as you hear Larosa say that, how does that make you feel? And I immediately grabbed my preaching back and started speaking about optimism. And I feel like we're going to get through it. I feel like we'll work this. And the therapist did what you never want to see your therapist do. She kind of laughed. <laughs> oh, Albert. It's like, oh. like, like, you know, you know, you have messed up. You know, I am screwed. I'm in trouble when, when somebody said, she says, Albert, I'm trying to help you. Um, I'm, I'm trying to teach you how to sit in pain with LaRosa. I'm trying to teach you how to sit in suffering with LaRosa. And the first thing I thought is, I don't want to sit down there. You want to sit down there. I don't want her sitting down there. I'm trying to get her up. It's She's trying to get you there. Don't you sit down there. I had a lack of appreciation of what it means to sit and to be and to practice empathy and the healing process that that alone brings without anything else. So that's, that's how I'm cultivating my character, man. I'm, I'm, I'm still learning. I'm still a student. I'm still posturing my heart 
to be humble and to say, Lord, I ain't got it figured out. Even though I'm preaching it and teaching it, I'm still trying to wear it and live into it and inviting the spirit to do a complete work in every area of my life um, and, 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 and getting help, uh, inviting the help. Uh, because at this stage and this level, I'm running too much. I got too much going on for me to walk around with blind spots and not invite other people to speak into them. Yeah. Yeah, That's beautiful. Uh, Two more questions. One, I'm curious for you, as you think about, you know, just the constant, like you, you probably always got a chapter in your mind, a sermon on your mind, um, real life leadership issues on your mind. As you as you're diving into the text and you're just reading for yourself, um, how do you decipher? Man, this this is just for this is just for the Tate family. This is for this is for the family table. <laughs> this is for you know a podcast or this is for a. Is there? Do you have some sense of kind of like now? This is this isn't for the world. This is just for me and the Lord, or this is just for me and me and our family, or this yeah. is this is for the family table. Yeah. Well, you know, it's one of those things, man, where I look at it like, first of all, it's always for me mm-hmm. because it's God's word. It's always for me. And it's always there blessing me. And I don't have an, I don't, I don't drive with the agenda, but inevitably the way that I am and the way that I show up and the way that I lead, if I, I communicate from my experience and my journey, so it may not be for a sermon now, yeah. but if it's true and if it's helpful, you know, I don't care. My thing is, uh, I, I want to be a translator. I want to help people grow in Christ. And if my, my being ignorant in therapy, I feel like it's going to help somebody else see themselves being ignorant in therapy, I'll pull that up and I'll, and I'll use that for God's glory. I'll get a revelation and if it blesses me, but at some point it'll bless. So I just carry, I just carry that truth and let it just sit in me and minister to me. And at any given point, if I feel like that's relevant for any space that I'm in, I'll just pull it out. I'm not, I'm not filtered and, and organized enough to have, I probably should at some point and say, this is for something. But if it's in, first of all, it's just always applicable to me. Yeah. Lord, speak to me. And out of the abundance of that, I feel like I've got enough content for the world because he said a lot to me about me. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, um, last question. We we tend to end each of the Crafting Character podcasts where we ask our guests to kind of give a, a benediction and blessing. And I just... Um, Again, love you and I'm so grateful for just your continued example, your preaching, um, the way that you lead. Um, and again, I'm just, I just believe so deeply the world needs this book. Mm. And um, How We Love Matters, it's just a, it's a great title. Um, I just wonder maybe like if you might just, whether to the pastors that are listening to this, uh, podcast, um, just give them a fresh little reminder, a little, a little good news today, a little benediction. Uh, if you don't know that, um, most mornings, Monday through Friday, uh, you can follow Albert Tate on YouTube and, and get a, get a little good news and it's fantastic, but just a, maybe a little word and do a, a benediction about how we love matters. Yeah. 
out of um, out of all the things that Jesus has called us to do, um, one of the most significant calls is to love. And at a time when the church is threatened, at a time when I feel like our witness in the world is being threatened, uh, in a time when pastors are weary and tired, uh, in a time where our people are more inconsistent, harder to shepherd, um, at a time when who we are and how we show up is so significant and so influential, in a time where likes are in abundance on the Instagram page, or even uh, those influencers have become now insults to the body of Christ because of their own moral failure. Now was a time more than ever before, how we love really matters. So I pray that we will be marked by the love of the Father and out of the abundance and the overflow of his love for us, may we love one another well for his glory. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Albert. Grateful for you, my friend. Yes, sir. Well, thanks so much for tuning in to the Crafting Character Podcast. I'm grateful for my friends at preaching today. And also, I'm grateful that for you, each each time you all listen and you send me a note or comment on our social media feeds, it means more than you know. Uh, I, I want to help you get better at preaching. I love this podcast. I love the privilege it is to steward these conversations. My real hope and desire is to get you into a living room with an incredible coach, some like-minded communicators, and some incredible mentors. And I do that through the Ascent Leader. And we have some amazing craft and character cohorts coming up. We've got one with Mike Hickerson. Mike's the founding pastor. He and his wife, Jody, of Mission Ventura Church. Just stellar, stellar people. Um, but this craft and character cohort is going to be a and give you the chance to meet with Megan Fate Marshman, Derwin Gray. Um, I'll be there. Um, but I'd love for you to sign up. There's only a couple slots left. Um, but you can go to the ascentleader.org and learn all you need to know about getting yourself in a living room so that you can really embody what First Timothy 4 teaches us, which says that we need to be diligent with our gifts. We need to give ourselves wholly to this gift that like God has entrusted to us. And then I love this one little line. It says, so that everyone may see our progress. Like that, that's the dream is that our congregation would be shaped the deeper understanding of the cross and of the resurrection and of the kingdom and of the way of Christ. And I, I think that can happen, yes, through our life and also through our diligent decision to get better at our craft and or character. So go to theascentleader.org. And then lastly, uh, this podcast wouldn't be possible without my good friends at Food for the Hungry. I, I partner with them, love what they're doing. It's not just the work that they do, it's the posture at which they do their work. And if you're looking for some opportunities to, to partner globally, um, to help there in 22 countries, they are doing some amazing work. I've seen it up close. It's incredible. I'd love to tell you more about it. Um, you can always feel free to reach out to me via email, steve at steveryancarter.com. Well, I hope, my friends, you will take those words that Pastor Albert Tate shared with us. I pray that it just inspires your preaching, that you feel it in your belly. And I pray that this weekend, you would preach with a fire, with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. Much love, everyone. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Grace and peace. Peace.